Welcome to Drilling Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston. I guess I should call this the weekly craziness as we talk about oil and diesel, but we call it Drilling Deep because you have to drill for oil to get it and you need oil to make diesel. We do have a guest each week too, and this week it's Jeff Musig. He's the Executive Vice President and CMO of Pitt, Ohio. It's an LTL carrier, and he's going to give us his perspective on what it takes to make the relationship between an LTL carrier and its shippers a good and healthy one. Let's talk about what I refer to as the two diesel markets. The first one is the East Coast. We've talked a lot about that in recent weeks because inventories on the East Coast are at historically low levels, and there started to become some fears developing about allocations. And this week, there was another piece of discouraging news for buyers on the East Coast. Inventories dropped again. The weekly report of the Energy Information Administration came out Wednesday, as it always does, and it showed a decline of more than a million barrels of ultra-low sulfur diesel stocks in the East Coast area known as Pad 1. This was a shock to a lot of people because they had figured that after inventories rose a week earlier, and with refineries really ramping up their operations, the build in inventories on the East Coast would continue. But that didn't happen in part because with prices actually higher in other parts of the world, the usual steady level of imports to the U.S. is getting really small. In fact, imports into the U.S. of ultra-low sulfur diesel last week were the lowest in almost a year. So the inventory numbers don't look good. But a funny thing is happening anyway. I think the most important number to look at in recent weeks is the spread between East Coast diesel and Gulf Coast diesel. If we assume the Gulf Coast is as representative as you can get of the world diesel market because the U.S. exports diesel off the Gulf Coast to the rest of the world, then how the East Coast is doing against it is significant. The spread normally is a few cents per gallon with the East Coast, the more expensive price, but that number got up to more than 60 cents in recent weeks. Yet despite the fact that the inventory numbers look pretty tight, that spread has come down considerably. By Thursday of this week, According to data supplied to Freightways by General Index, that spread was down to 14 cents, having dropped four days in a row. That's a tough thing to happen if the market tightness is continuing. On the retail level, the weekly DOE numbers show the East Coast price rising against the national number. But in the spot market, which is also where wholesale numbers key off of, things are getting easier. Maybe those allocations that some feared could be avoided. But in the broader market, The fact remains that the biggest determinant of diesel prices is always going to be the price of crude. And that, my friends, has started heading higher again. Since I recorded this a week ago, Brent has tacked on about $5 per barrel, and so has West Texas Intermediate Crude. Why? Oh, nothing really new. On the supply side, most of the news about Russia is about the country finding ways to export its oil despite formal and informal sanctions. That should keep prices from rising too high. But there are a whole lot of other factors that have helped boost prices. The dollar is weaker. That is always bullish for oil prices. China is maybe starting to open up. That's more demand, possibly. The EU continues to look for more ways to keep Russian oil out of its borders. But if it gets out the door anyway, that might not have a big impact. And don't discount adding about 200 points to the S&P 500 since its lows of last Friday. That does tend to drag all assets up with it. But the East Coast... Well, we might have dodged a bullet there. It's still the most important to watch for diesel consumers. That hasn't changed. We're going to move on here now on Drilling Deep, as we always do. Last week, I was invited to a gathering that was sponsored by Carrier Logistics in Manhattan. 
Uh, Carry Logistics is a provider of TMS systems to the LTL business, mostly to the LTL business. So it was, it was a great event. I, I met a lot of people in the LTL business. I've always tend to think of LTL in terms of Old Dominion and SIA, and it was just great meeting a lot of smaller companies uh, that operate in that, that field. Uh, Pitt, Ohio is not really that small, uh, but uh, the speaker at the event was, was Jeffrey Music. Uh, he is the uh, executive vice president and chief marketing officer at Pitt, Ohio. And uh, Jeff, first of all, welcome to Drilling Deep. Hi, John. Thanks for having me here today. So, and uh, Jeff, at the Carry Logistics event, talked about what an LTL customer can do to make the experience better for both shipper and carrier. So, as I was listening to him, of course, I view everything through the prism of, hey, do I think this guy might be a potentially good guest on Drilling Deep? And I concluded that he was, and I asked him if he would join us, and here he is. So, Jeff, why don't you start by talking a little bit about Pitt, Ohio? Sure. So, uh, John, Pitt, Ohio, um, it's fifth, we're the 15th largest LTL carrier in the country. We're known for our legacy LTL service, but uh, which stretches from Chicago to New Jersey to Virginia. But uh, in recent years, we've acquired a majority interest in Dorn Transfer in the Midwest, U.S. Special Delivery in the uh, state of Wisconsin, Upper Peninsula of Michigan, and Ross Express up in the New England states. Uh, beyond that, we've diversified into supply chain solutions. So beyond offering truckload, warehousing, drayage, and um, uh, transloading services uh, have become pretty popular in terms of our, our customers reaching out to solve those types of problems as well. How much were some of those acquisitions driven by the need to get toward the final mile? I think, uh, I wouldn't say specifically the final mile. I think uh, the understanding, you referenced large LTL carriers and small LTL carriers. And I think the ref, the recognition that um, you couldn't offer a single service, be very viable offering a single service and maybe a regional single service and continue to be viable in an ever-changing uh, supply chain situation where customers are looking for solutions. So the LTL acquisitions essentially have broadened our breadth. We can offer interregional LTL service, but we also offer uh, what we would call core area service in the Midwest, in the New England, in the mid-Atlantic states. And then this diversification um, into offering, uh, using non-asset-based solutions, managing other carriers' fleets on behalf of our customers, just like a 3PL would, uh, that has been, I think, the difference maker for us. But one thing I like to express to customers is we're pretty expert at managing drivers at Pitt, Ohio. We have over 2,000 of them. We're expert at managing trucks. Why can't we manage a fleet on your behalf, which is essentially what a 3PL does? So essentially, we've become an asset-based 3PL. I see. Okay, so you you wouldn't necessarily necessarily casually describe yourself anymore as just an LTL company. It sounds like your whole model is one where you've got to get bigger, or you're just going to get, or you're going to get bought. That is uh, very much a, a situation out there. And what I would say is, is we're all about transportation solutions. Really, I, I, uh, relating to our customers in a strategic way rather than a transactional way, and uh, building those building those solutions to create value for the customer, because candidly, that's how we can create value and capture some value back for ourselves. Those are sustainable over the long term. All right, well, let's talk about those customers. So the title of your talk last week was Meeting the Challenges Facing LTL, which is a pretty broad description. A lot goes in there. But I mean, what I took away from it were mostly things that, that customers could do, mostly that 
that shippers could do to improve the LTL experience. Not that you were trying to say it's all on them, but that this really kind of is a partnership and working together, we can get a lot more things done. Well, I think it all is also, um, and it needs to be discussed in terms of the context of what's happened over the last two and a half years. So the last two and a half years, I mean, and, and this is not just the LTL space, but the whole supply chain space has obviously upended uh, constraints in the LTL space, rising costs. And our customers have, have experienced the brunt of that in terms of rising prices. So much of the conversation has been, how can I get best-in-class pricing? How can I minimize the brunt of these rate increases? What can we do to um, uh, change this conversation from, you know, Mr. Shipper, your prices are going up, and he asks why, and we say, uh, my costs have risen. Now, it's, it's a done deal. Our thought at Pitt, Ohio, is if we're going to be strategic, we need to first, we can have a candid conversation about rising costs, but really, as a good business partner, we should come to the conversation and also address inefficiencies that have either crept in to the relationship or have been endemic and are embedded in the relationship. How can we take those inefficiencies out and, as a result of that, lower the cost, the structural cost in our relationship and offer better pricing? And that's really the, the approach that we take. Essentially, I, my, my take is shippers don't want to be best-in-class shippers. They want best-in-class pricing. So let's get there. okay. So, but so look, look, before we get into some of the specifics that you talked about, what I can't help but think is, how can you assure the shippers that are going to use your service that if they're better customers, that if they kind of follow some of the things that you're that you discussed last week, and we're going to discuss yeah. still here on the podcast, that they're going to see the benefit of that. Well, we, that, that it's not just going to flow to your bottom line. Well, I think I, I, we're talking, hey, so uh, it's a win-win. We're, we're talking about a gain share. I mean, I think the best solution is, is can I reduce my customer's cost and improve my operating ratio at the same time without lowering, without raising my price? That's fantastic. And I think what has happened, um, you know, we would have these conversations three, four years ago. And unfortunately, oftentimes the transportation department inside uh, uh, or logistics group inside our embedded inside our our, our customer, the shipper, uh, their voice did not carry the day. It was tended to be the operations, and they were reacting to the inefficiencies inside their operation, and that gets passed on to the carrier and and deal with it, and these these are the higher costs, here are the higher prices. But now, as awareness of rising transportation costs have moved into the C-suite, now companies are looking to adjust their operations in a more meaningful way to take cost out of their supply chain. So, I, I, again, it's, it's against the backdrop of what's happened in the last couple of years. I think that makes this conversation possible here in 2022. All right, well, let's talk about the first thing that was on your list. And it was something very granular, which I thought was great. Uh, instead of kind of broad platitudes, you went kind of right to the heart of some specific recommendations. And the first one sitting at the top of the, of the list was labeling and packaging. Maybe you can discuss, discuss why that's an issue. I would have thought that something like that is standardized by the shipper like Pitt, Ohio. Yeah. So uh, there's very little standardized in LTL. Okay. When you've got 20 <laughs> LTL competitors, uh, you know, things are fragmented and uh, there should be more standards. That would be the best way to get there. Okay. Uh, but with the diverse number of players, it, 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 it's like herding cats. Okay. Um, 
what you know, carriers have been really good in the last two years, trumpeting the fact that there's a labor shortage, uh, the drivers are unavailable, uh, and costs are there. But I think we're turning a blind eye as a carrier community to the fact that our customers, the shippers, are also experiencing the same labor issues. So inside their distribution centers, they've seen high turnover. Uh, they've seen their seasoned um, uh, warehousemen retire age out of the workforce earlier. The pandemic accelerated retirements, pushed people to the sidelines faster. You know, uh, what's the number? Like 10,000 baby boomers are retiring every day. I think that was a, probably accelerated in the last two years. And uh, when you bring new people in, the assumption is, oh, they're all going to be well-trained. Well, the pandemic is was kind of um, not a friendly environment to train people. Oftentimes that training, you know, is carried out um, by as a corporate initiative. Uh, you hope it can get done at the local level. But when you're fighting fires in the distribution center, trying to get orders out the door, um, inventory is misplaced. Well, what you're now dealing with new people making assumptions about what they know or don't know and how to adhere to it. So as Pitt Ohio has kind of looked at what drives cost in our network, one of the first things we've looked at is, is double deliveries. Uh, what's a double delivery? A double delivery is is when we, we get three hand, we pick up three handling units going to the same consignee, but two of the handling units get delivered one day, and the third handling unit gets delivered the second day. When we do our dive into why did that happen, what we tend to find out is the bill of lading was pro- mis- not properly described, did not call out three handling units, or one of the handling units or multiple of the handling units was mislabeled. Transpose the zip codes, wrong names, uh, wrong consignee names. Our dock workers, look at what's on those labels. That's what they use. I promise you there's no pricing um, program in place with any LTL carrier that has enough margin in it to sustain two deliveries. So eliminate, eliminate that right at the start. Seems kind of basic, but going back to the basics of retraining the people inside the distribution centers to understand the importance of proper packaging and labeling. So I spent a lot of time on labeling. Going to the packaging piece, two areas here. Again, maybe you have a newer uh, a warehouse man. Uh, one of the problems in the LTL world is you're stowing pallets next to each other, right? So what's the stowability of the pallet we're picking up relative to the other shipments on the truck? If you've got overhang uh, and you're shipping a, a uh, I'll, I'll use an example of a, a, a bucket, so it's not a it's not cartons, but it's a, an object formed out of metal that's overhanging the pallet. That pallet's going to damage other pallets. Okay, the bucket's going to get there on time and intact, but the other product is going to that surrounds that pallet's going to be damaged. So we you know we attribute we do the root cause analysis, attribute that back to the bucket. We're going to raise the price on that type of shipment. The, the similar one is, is overhang. So sometimes you want to get more product on the pallet, normally a great thing. But if the, if the cartons are overhanging the pallet, and again, movement in transit, all of a sudden they're going to get damaged as well. So making sure that you are packaging. And then um, oftentimes when we talk about packaging, we tend to talk about is the corrugated su- of sufficient strength. Obviously that's important and all those things. But even the basics around how do you put the curtains on the pallet? Are they put on properly? And have people been trained to do this? Seems kind of fundamental, but as we've seen things through the pandemic, uh, we've seen an increase in these inefficiencies 
in these spaces. Great opportunity to tighten that up. Yeah, and that kind of goes to the next point that it was, again, it was a point on your slide, provide shipment projections. And again, I this is the kind of thing you, you I would think that you would know that you w- did a deal with company X, they're going to use your services. They have so much freight to move. They're going to move from point A to point B. What does that mean? Provide shipment projections. Oh, okay. I would have thought that was so in, a done deal. So in a truckload world, um, you, to, to be able to make ensure the pickup is going to be made, you are reliably giving advanced shipment notice the day before, sometimes a week before, five days before to plan that. In the LTL world, it's very customary to provide projections in the morning. I plan to give you this this afternoon. And some shippers, the large volume ones, aren't able to extract that information or, or haven't built the haven't invested the time with their IT groups to pull that information out of their TMS or their, their warehouse order management system to make it available to the LTL carrier. Pitt, Ohio picks up shipments as late as six or seven o'clock at night, and we move it 500 miles overnight for next day delivery. If I know at three o'clock in the afternoon or ideally even earlier, but as late as three o'clock in the afternoon that I am now picking up 10,000 pounds moving from New Jersey to Baltimore, uh, that's a whole lot better knowing that and planning a line hole driver at three or four o'clock in the afternoon rather than reacting to that surprise shipment at six o'clock at night, where now I'm trying to scramble a driver, uh, either pull one from another line, uh, you know, line hole route I had planned, or maybe not move the freight that night because the serv- I can't provide service. So dealing with surprises is costly. So providing the information on the front end uh, takes that cost out, allows for better planning. And, you know, if you work your plan, uh, you know, plan your work, work your plan. OK, it's the most efficient thing you can do. And you'd be surprised at um, the amount of shipments where um, in the LTL space where accurate forecasts aren't available. You, you talked, I think one of your other points there was optimize your LTL carries usage of time and space. And I think okay. you used that phrase time and space somewhere else in your presentation last week in New York, that that's essentially what the business is. It's the management of time and space. Can you expand on that? Right. Yeah. So I like to say that, you know, it's, our, this is why LTL is interesting and, and some might say even crazy because we charge our customers based upon um, distance and weight, but our costs are driven by time and space. <laughs> okay. And, and, you know, so, so that's the, the, the basic discrepancy in, in that, that's out there. Uh, in this space, the, it, it, you know, as we talk about time, certainly there's a lot of similarities between the truckload um, world and the LTL world. Okay. Minimize dwell time at pickup, minimize dwell time at delivery. Pretty straightforward. I would say for most LTL shippers, much easier to, to minimize the, uh, dwell time at origin. Uh, you control your own dock. You can schedule carriers in. You can look, If it's a drop trailer, you can load it. Uh, if it's a live load, you can make sure the order's ready, the paperwork's prepared before the driver shows up rather than him waiting for the order to be completed. All pretty basic kinds of things. I understand it gets harder as for an LTL shipper to control their their customers' behavior, the consignee, right? And uh, you know they 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 are maybe shipping prepay and add. Um, you know it may be a large customer of their organization. Uh, their influence is somewhat more muted. What I would say there is it's understanding your LTL carriers. Uh, you know, Pitt Ohio we're focused on industrial business. We don't do a lot of retail. We don't do a lot of grocery warehouse. 
We have competitors who do specialize in that business. Give those types of shipments uh, to the carrier that's already going to make those deliveries and will have an economy of scale at time of delivery, as opposed to you know, focusing on the shipments that require the next day delivery and routing those to the carriers um, that specialize in that. All right, we, we've covered a lot of things, still got a lot of things to go. Yeah, not that okay. much time. How do you get your shippers to do this? What's well, price, be more pricing incentives? Just, just do well. How, yeah. how do they really reap the benefit? Well, uh, so I think it's all through, um, uh, through rate discussions. So, um, you know, we reward customers when they uh, move. I haven't even talked about moving to digitization, digital bills of lading. Okay, and, and that, that's kind of our, we perceive that to be the gold standard. Send us the information so I don't have to have someone keystroke enter that information into my systems. I can do that advanced planning ahead of time for my line hole operation. What we do is we, we, lower, we lower our prices. We provide essentially an information discount back to our customers in terms of a better freight rate. And we quantify it, you know, 1%, 2%, 3% based upon the degree of savings that we see out there. And LTL carriers today, we talked about CLI, have very precise costing models. <laughs> uh, they understand the minutes spent at pickup, moving shipments across a dock, and delivering. And if they know those minutes are no longer being expended, they know what their, how much their costs were reduced and correspondingly how much they can reduce their prices. All right, so they, they, they clearly see the benefits of this. I'm going to ask you, um, just to talk about the LTL business in general, we had a story the other day about LTL stocks really getting hammered. Um, we had that uh, that, they were, that they were doing really poorly recently, whereas the truckload stocks were sort of hanging in there. Of course, the truckload may have taken its beating a few weeks ago. But is there any particular reason why you would think LTL is getting pounded these days? I mean, everything I heard last week uh, at the event in New York seemed fairly positive. How's how's the business? Okay, so first off, I don't. I think there's often a disconnect between what happens on Wall Street and share prices, and what's happening in the, uh, you know, at the ground level in terms of uh, the economics of the industry, the economics of the business. Sometimes, somewhere along the line, they do align, but there are places where they often diverge. So I really can't speak to why that's happening. Um, what I what I would say is I would characterize the 2021 market as a red hot market. Probably the most, the, and this is nothing, this won't be news to your listeners. Uh, this is, was the most, the strongest freight market uh, I've ever worked in. And I've worked in this industry since 1985. So um, just, it is what it is. Today, we're enjoying a very robust market. But oftentimes, we're looking at comparables. How are we doing this year versus last year? And I think if you take a step back and you look at it against historic numbers over the course of the past decade, this is an extremely strong year. It's just not quite as strong a year as last year. So that's one piece. Um, The truckload market in general tends to be more volatile, especially the spot market. Uh, Contractual rates tend to stay in longer in truckload and then even a little bit longer in LTL. The one thing I'll, I'll say, John, is I don't know what lays ahead. You know, I can't predict what's going to be out there three months, six months out. It may be that the LTL market softens further, but we're not seeing anything in the LTL space that suggests uh, what you know, Freight Waves has written about relative to uh, the cratering of the spot market on the, on the truckload side. Well, my, my colleague uh, Todd Maiden today was saying on a call I was on that I guess not next week, but the week after will be when the big LTL carriers give their sort of intra-quarter update. 
so uh, on volume. So it'll be very interesting to see what that is. That is true. And then I think the other one that, that's kind of interesting out there is uh, a, a, a lot of the LTL carrier growth, the large carriers, uh, they play a lot in that retail space. So they've ridden the wave of increased purchasing of uh, retail goods. And, you know, we, we, it's been documented in recent weeks that uh, they're growing inventory levels at these re- large retailers. And that would suggest there may, that shipping may become a little more muted in the LTL space. Right. And retail has kind of led the market down. Yeah. Pit Ohio is somewhat insulated from that. Uh, less than 5% of our, our, our customer base is in the retail space. All right. Well, Jeff, we want to thank Jeffrey Musig, who has talked to us today here on Drilling Deep. He is the executive vice president and chief marketing officer at Pitt, Ohio. Uh, I love talking about LTL, so maybe we can have you on again. John, thanks. Pleasure to be here today, and thanks for the invitation. Um, I I hope uh, everybody enjoyed the the moment. Thank you. Okay. Uh, You have been listening to Drilling Deep. We are part of the Freight Waves family of podcasts, or the Freight Cast. We call them Freight Casts. You can find us on all the major podcast platforms. I've been your host today, John Kingston, and please join us again. (laughs) 